All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy Newsbeat Podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. I'll tell you what, we got a heck of a presentation today. It's not only a presentation, we got us a podcast. I've got a book. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Ronald Stein before on his book, Clean Energy Exploration. Excuse me, Exploitation. Yes. That was a fabulous book. I mean, I think Ronald had fun. Yeah. And so, he, did. he told me. Okay, good. You know, so as a joint author, I mean, Todd Royal is here with us. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me, Stuart. I appreciate I it. Good to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Oh, we're having so much fun. I'll tell you what, Todd, when we sit back and I, we started interacting, yeah. you're like 12 minutes down the road. I am. I am. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah, we had moved uh, during uh, the pandemic. From okay. Los Angeles here to the McKinney area. Right. Because uh, both of my wife and our families are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Oh, super. Yeah, so we, we came back. We came home. All right. When did you meet Ronald? I, I met him. He had read some of my writings previously. It's probably about six years ago. Okay. Reached out to me and said, would I like to work with him with the American Society of Civil Engineers? Okay. On their infrastructure report. Nice. on energy and electricity. I really kind of became their policy director. And Ron said to me, he looked at me, he goes, I think you can do this. Go tell me how much it would cost to build a new electrical grid in California. So we could add it, we could add it to the cost. And so we had a great working relationship together. And he just kind of, he literally just handed me the ball and said, go figure it out. And we just, we worked really well together. And after the process was over, I approached him and said, hey, I would like to write a book. And I said, I really want to have an engineer involved. And I said, you and I have worked so well together. Right. We wrote a book called Energy Made Easy. And then I learned so much about the grid right. that um, I then wrote, we wrote a second book called Just Green Electricity, which is about what renewables do, do to an electrical grid and all oh, the policy implications wow. and all the geopolitical implications and really what happens out if you, what happens if you have a blackout. What's the name of that book? Just Green Electricity. Okay, I'm going to go get it right Okay, now. good. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You and hopefully about two million others. Just to go get that. <laughs> we, uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, this book, uh, Clean Energy Expectations, available on Amazon. It'll be in the show notes, and so will the other. Thank you. And that's what, and then Ron said to me, Do I want to write the third book? Because Ron had done a lot of research on the regulatory right. uh, requirements for all forms of energy, in particular renewables. And Ron really uncovered, we did it together, what it actually takes to build a solar panel, a wind turbine, an EV, yeah. a battery energy storage system. And then I'd done a global value chain study on lithium ion uh, storage batteries and grid skip and what that actually means and what's the. Right mechanical, electrical, all the engineering involved to do battery storage systems, plus the true cost per megawatt. Right. And so then that came about in, in this one. And I've said that I think I'm the most proud of this book. I love the other two, but I'm the most proud because this was the hardest book to write. Wow. Because it's so, it really becomes a human interest story that you oh. really begin to find out. Thank you. Yeah. You really begin to find out. And if you show the cover, it's a gentleman holding an AK 47 right. at a cobalt mine in the, <laughs> in the Congo. Right. And so what you really, I didn't realize until you find this out is that people are enslaved for rare earth metals and minerals all right. across the world, lithium triangle in South America, particularly like the Bolivia area, right. the Congo, China, people are being enslaved for these things. So when I read it, right. I chilled, I've got two children. Uh, they were young children when I wrote it. And really, I kind of said, when, when did you write Uh, I think the book's a little over three years old now, three to four years old. And what really happened is that I began to go and I get kind of emotional talking about it because I go, well, what if that was me? And what if that was my children? 
And I put myself in, in their shoes and I put myself not even in an empathetic sense, but in a sense right. of going, well, these are people that don't have any access to energy. They're enslaved. They're literally working in mines that collapse on them, bury them alive. Oh, yeah. And so it was a very, very personal story for me. Right. Because what you find out is really what we termed it is blood minerals. Well, instead of blood diamonds. Yeah. I love that. What you have now are blood minerals. You know, there's, there's, depending on how you categorize it, there's what's called rare earth metals and minerals. Right. Lithium, cobalt. Right. Or critical is the other. Critical is the other word. Um, Copper can be there. Silver can be there. Critical blood. Yeah. I I just started adding all I just call them blood minerals. Because what happens is, is we're not doing it here in the United States or Western countries. And you kind of take it and you push it out. And really what I tell anybody, this is the worst form of racism. Because what you're saying is we, the light-skinned people, you dark-skinned people, you go die. So then I can drive a Tesla in Santa Monica or Dallas and feel good about myself. You know, you're 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 exactly running down that road that I'm preaching, and I yeah. absolutely am tired of energy democracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you in the Wales, uh, David Blackman just yep. released a podcast with Megan, and I have another one coming out. Michael Schellenberg has done great work. Um, yes, there was one that just washed up shore a few days ago. Yes. And and so the hypocrisy and David Blackman just put out another note mm-hmm. this morning about the Biden administration is taking a war on the, the channel of the right wing. Yeah. yeah. I'm just so disgusted with the hypocrisy. Yeah. And you should and you should be really whether it's large mammals. Right. For our enjoyment, for the, the or birds, birds, birds right. eagles, whatever it may be. When you really come down to it, right. you are literally looking at people being enslaved, right? Sexual trafficking and enslavement to build solar panels and to mine the rare earth metals and minerals, minerals or critical minerals or blood, blood that is needed for these to work. And, right. and what really, what's the irony of it is, is that, and, and we talk about this in this book, right? Every single component of right. a wind turbine originates from fossil fuels. It, it happens. Uh, a wind turbine can't work without the different oils and lubrications that it takes for it to work. They're literally, you might as well put up a gigantic piece of plastic, right? And that all comes from a fossil. It's not renewable. The steel is, the cement, and cement uses a lot of uh, coal Mm -hmm. because you have to use coking coal. You have to use coking, the arc furnaces. Yeah. If you really, if if you're really serious about being an environmentalist, right? If you're really saying that I think a black life matters, a yellow life, right? Whatever color, whatever your color du jour is, right? The only way to stop this from taking place while being better to the environment, while lowering emissions is nuclear power. And that's it. Wow. Under current yeah. technological requirements, because right. energy has to meet some requirements, right? And the only one that meets all of them is nuclear power. Well, Todd, I always say this, and that is you must be able to deliver the lowest kilowatt per hour mm-hmm. to all citizens of the world yep. that is sustainable. And sustainable is defined as fiscally uh, sustainable, as well as having the least amount of impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's wind. I don't care if it's solar. I don't care if it's nuclear, natural gas or anything else. You start going through the fiscal responsibility, you start losing wind. You start losing solar. 
Now, I love solar from a standpoint of a backup in a house or something like that. There's a place for it. But mandates and the destruction. So you start rolling through all this. Everything you're saying is so cool. And then you have the Mary Thangmans of the world and everything else. Let's hear about nuclear because okay. I think nuclear and natural gas are our best paths to a more ecological solution. Is that a fair statement? Completely fair. Um, to give a little background on myself, currently I work for an organization called E4 Carolinas okay. uh, that's out of Charlotte. It's an energy advocacy firm. I began working for them a little over two years ago nice. on a U.S. Department of Commerce uh, that within them is called the Economic Development Administration. All right. We are doing, I, myself and another gentleman are doing global value chain studies. I always tell people value chain is supply chain on steroids, where you look at every single component from the moment you consider something, in this case, a nuclear power plant, to the moment it's, the moment it's decommissioned right. and return back to what it looked like previously before the power plant. Right. We've done everything. We, with all the components, all the parts, whether it's the siding of the plant, the reactor, the balance of plant, who's doing the power purchasing agreement, the end user, wow. the decommissioning, the radiological waste of it, the nuclear fuel cycle, the front end and the back end. So my work has been looking at what's called advanced nuclear technology. We hear it now as small modular reactors. Right. Shrinking down a power plant, down anywhere between 1.5 megawatts, which is a micro reactor, all the way up to Rolls-Royce has one that goes to about 474. Okay. A new scale. Right. Uh, Oh, yeah. Does one that goes up to 462. Those are advanced water reactors, meaning they have passive safety systems. It's basically impossible for the reactor to melt down. How does that fit into the, is it molten salt? That's a great question. So those are what you're you're really calling your generation four reactors, meaning it's a non-water-cooled reactor. Right. Uh, Companies like Eros Power, X Energy, they're doing things where you're cooling cooling the reactor with non-water, high temperature gas, molten salts, lead bismuth, pebbles, helium. And what that means is right. the reactor can get up to incredibly high temperatures. Your current reactor goes about 350 to 400 degrees Celsius. You're typically only making electricity. Right. The higher the temperature of the reactor, okay. these reactors are looking to get into 700 degrees Celsius, all the way up to 1200 degrees Celsius. Okay. Then you get to you get some interesting things happening. When I get to 950 degrees Celsius, I can make hydrogen. I can do cogeneration plants, meaning I can do different functions at the same time. Right. I can do where really you get true emissions reduction is processing and steam to make fertilizer, to make to make steel, to make concrete, to make plastics. That reactor gets to a much greater level, higher temperature. So it's not just making electricity. The reactor can be used for many other uses. And then what small modular means. Right. I've taken a reactor that let's say you and I are here for your audience. We're here in Plano, Texas, right? Right outside of Dallas, right? There's a reactor in Glen Rose, Texas, about an hour and a half away from us, right? That is a traditional large scale water cooled reactor that's getting electricity to probably a couple million people. I believe it's like four, the total nuclear for Texas, I believe, is around the 4%. I could yeah. yeah, it's a low. And that's the only nuclear plant in Texas that I know. OK. And so what you're looking to do with a small reactor is you're saying, hey, I'm going to shrink this. Right. And then what I'm going to do is do everything in a factory modularity. There's a company called Last Energy. Okay. Small modular reactor company looking to do a pressurized water reactor. 
Nice. They're building their components here in Texas, down in South Texas. Oh, cool. And if you see it, typically it's about two stories tall, right? One of their reactors is kind of a module case, right? They will then ship it on site and it's built on site versus doing everything on the site to kind of scale. Absolutely. Boom. So, or what engineers refer to as modular construction. Hence the name, small, I've shrunk the size of the reactor physically right. and its electrical output. Modular, done in a factory, reactor, brings in the fission process of nuclear. This got that single controlled environment has to be able to reduce the regulatory process. One would think, but you really you're having three problems right now with nuclear okay. in the United States. Right. Uh, money, financing. I would also add... People don't want to do purchasing agreements because they can't get past the second issue, which is nuclear fuel. Right. We no longer produce nuclear fuel in the United States. Currently, this anti-Russian sentiment that goes on, if we were to say, if you've noticed, we're not have sanctions against their nuclear fuel because yeah. we, we bring in a, we bring in approximately 14 to 20 percent of our nuclear fuel comes I, yes, from Russia. I thought it was around that 20. Yep. And uh, it would shut down a large portion of the reactors in the United States if we put sanctions on that. Wow. And then the third, the third big issue is the regulatory issue. And then the Biden administration just shut down uh, permitting for some of the uh, mines. Mm -hmm. They're like, they're shooting themselves. They're pulling a Dick Cheney on the U.S. citizens. Mm -hmm. They're shooting themselves in the foot, but their splatter is hitting all the U.S. citizens. Well, and what you really see with all these folks is this, this Malthusian, anti-human, anti-growth, anti-industry thought that you've allowed even you've allowed the environmental movement, which which I would make the argument at one point was for good. The Sierra Club was for good. The Audubon Society was for good. Patrick, um, yeah. Dr. Moore, I love him mm -hmm. because I got to give him a shout out because yeah. he was I, I founder of Greenpeace, I believe. Was yeah. it Greenpeace or Sierra Club? Uh, uh, Greenpeace. Okay, and he was out there on Zodiacs trying to save the uh, you know yes. uh, save the whales and uh, and getting <clears throat> shot at by harpoons. He also was against nuclear proliferation. Yeah. Uh, you know, sorry, Oklahoma State. I can't talk. And so. Uh, <laughs> So he was against that. Yeah. And my admiration for him as a human yeah. has gone through the roof. And he and Alex Epstein and soon to be Chris Wright have done a fabulous job espousing this. And it's humanitarian. Well, another gentleman who's done an incredible job is out of Canada, a guy named Chris Keeper. Yes. Um, Chris has done fantastic work on nuclear. You're really seeing a nuclear renaissance going on in Canada. Isn't that great? That's about the only thing that's good. It's, yeah, it's, and they are doing, and, and Dr. Kiefer, his credit, has led that renaissance. Right. Uh, and it really shows, too, a little bit of advocacy work, right. backed up some, by some facts, what can really happen. And right. Dr. Kiefer does fantastic work. And interesting, you know, the, the environmentalists, you do look at a right. gentleman like Michael Schellenberg. Oh, yeah. Who was the Time Magazine Environmentalist of the Year and is the most pro-nuclear person you're going to meet. Right. Um, Mr. Schellenberger, I, I've had the pleasure of barely speaking to him a few times of working right. with a colleague of his. He's really a, an incredibly thoughtful man, but also a gentle soul. And for people to right. say nuclear is going to kill us all, it just doesn't make sense when people like Michael Schellenberger are so pro-nuclear while being so intelligent. It, it makes you go, no, humanitarian. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. that's a little bit of my work. That's what I've done. And 
these generation four reactors, which the goal is you'll start seeing some of them here towards the end of this decade, possibly right. certainly the 2030s in, in the United States, hopefully in here, Europe, right. are game changers, right. are completely energy game changers, what they can do. Cool. They're game changers. Like you and I could literally witness, I've equated it to, if you'd have been around and watched the moonlight, right? That's what you're going to see with these new reactors. You're going to see a moon landing, or if we currently in the space program were to go to Mars, right? You're going to see with these reactors, right, an entirely different way to do heat, electricity, steam, the the honestly, the the true use of hydrogen. And closed system. Yes. So that you don't have to refuel. Absolutely. You actually, it's a great point because you do have reactors on these generation four that are called fast spectrum reactors, right? So typically they can use spent nuclear fuel, some of it. Still has to be processed with other kind of high different forms of nuclear fuel called HALU or TRISO or TRISO X. Eventually, what you want to have is what's called a breeder reactor. Uh, yeah. And a breeder reactor then uses entirely spent nuclear fuel, which right. what you just said, you now entirely enclose the process. So whatever right. I'm doing is not only not creating any waste, I'm creating zero emissions. Right. Absolutely. I'm, I'm all for that. And it's not even uh, fusion. No, it's not fusion, which right. requires enormous amounts of electricity right. to achieve that fusion process. Why do fusion, right, where you have fission currently, that anybody who didn't know about it would look at this as the miracle right. of this of this century to go, you're telling me right. that you can create something that has zero emissions while it's actually creating the electricity, the cogeneration, the processing, right. the hydrogen, the desalinization, right? And then the waste that's from 50, 60, 70 years ago can yep. use that current waste. Yep. If I were King Todd, right, I would put all my money that's going into yep. those hundreds of billions in renewables, and I would put those hundreds of billions into nuclear, and you would watch a nuclear, yep. you would watch a renaissance for humanity that would be can I, unheard of. I would agree with King Todd, except for one thing. Uh, we can't print money. No, we can't. And, no. and uh, nuclear can sustain itself for so many years. My numbers that I'm coming up with that uh, they're saying that uh, wind is 10 years before it's carbon net zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's a whole different discussion, whether or not carbon's a pollution, but we'll leave that. Gregory Wrightstone and his whole team are great. But when you sit back and take a look, 10 years before it's carbon neutral, and then mm -hmm. everybody says that if they last 30 years, my numbers are showing less than eight. And a fiscal uh, stability is as soon as you, the, the uh, subsidies run out, they are never fiscally responsible. And not, so, even close. not even close. So that's why you're seeing all these offshore folks not even bidding anymore. They can't. They can't. And then you have the porculus bill, as Dan Bongino calls yeah. uh, the infrastructure bill, and then the inflation reduction act and there's no inflation reduction going on and, none whatsoever none and and so when you sit back and take a look you had mentioned something that kind of triggered another mm -hmm. uh, okay. thing in my mind and that is you wrote a, a paper on uh or information for ronald on how expensive the california grid would be mm -hmm. that california grid's over 100 years old yep. they still probably have parks that are in there i visited with uh, uh, Burning California, I can't remember her name. I'm so sorry. But I visited with her. Who, she was a, uh, a very good authoress. Uh, and 
bad about what the, the California folks are going through. And how much would it cost to replace the California grid? When I remember looking at that, it's called over five years ago. This is before, and this is why this is pre COVID. This is pre worker shortage, workplace development. This is pre this headlong rush into renewables where now you're outsourcing everything overseas to places. It's Indonesia, Russia, China, et cetera. The starting price is about $20 trillion. $20 trillion. Our national deficit is around the $35 trillion, And we have, I believe, five somewhere in this range, $5 trillion, $6 trillion coming due next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, if you just look at, take someone's total electricity costs, right. 41 million people, right. you're talking about redoing everything. Now, what Ron has, has interestingly done, though, right. Under the current regulatory regime, you'd probably be looking at upwards of 20 to 30 different regulatory permits you would need. Um, You wouldn't have enough people to even build it. You wouldn't have enough Uh, materials that you're going to need. You'd have more slavery, more uh, everything. So if you you, you were to step back and go, okay, what would you do? You would begin to repair it and or replace it piecemeal, as opposed to saying, I'm going to electrify something. You're never going to electrify. No, you're never going to. You're talking about like when the Rural Electrification Act, right? When that was done, that was a completely different time. You had right a fourth of the amount of people in the country that you currently have, right? You didn't have things built where they are now. So just think about California. Think about the terrain, the topography, right? The mountains to the ocean. Then you need to ask yourself: right. You need to replace every single power line, or do you want to put things underground? Maybe you do for. For uh, fire safety, fire safety. Do you yeah. want to, then you got to take in different codes for earthquake reduction. So after looking at all of that, I came up with pre-COVID, the very lowest end was eight to twelve trillion. What I saw more realistically was twenty trillion. What's a few trillion between friends? To, between between you and me. So yeah. you ask yourself then what is what's your end goal to say I'm going to electrify everything? What is your end goal? Any politician currently or, or any advocacy organization right. that's saying, I'm going to push electric vehicles. Right. Okay. Then you tell me why? where is that energy coming from? And then let's go to your motives. Why? I love that because the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab, mm-hmm. uh, they have said, said they were going to kill half the population. I believe the U.S., and this is a rumor, has signed up for half the population to go away. Well, if you if you wanted to do that, then you could really make a really good case about destroying the grid. I mean, right. where, where you and I are, right? People don't know this, but Texas is number one in the nation for renewables. Yes, uh, and we're half the cost of California and uh, 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 the eastern uh, seaboard. And we do have nuclear. We have natural gas. We have coal. But the part that's about to get really bad is that by twenty twenty five. Texas is supposed to have 40% of all their electricity come from renewables. Right. It's never going to happen. Or what's really going to happen is what just took place about a week and a half ago when we had our our first level two emergency from ERCOT that we've not had since uh, the winter storm URI back in February of 2021. That was entertaining. That was great. I I was blacked out for six days. Wow, I um, my lake house in Oklahoma. Okay, we we I'll join you on the next one. You know, yeah. if you're, I'm sure you probably know, but your listeners, we were 2,000 megawatts away. For folks who don't know, a megawatt typically means 
about a thousand people can get electricity in today's world of we use more electricity more iphones our refrigerators our televisions you get about 700 it's about 700 people typically now for a mile unless you're talking about me and i've got 10 screens in each of my offices okay you need your own mega you need your own but but that's a modern but you're you're a modern office you're a modern day executive and businessman so we were essentially let's just keep it what it says it's supposed to be right we were 2,000 people away from entirely blowing out the grid. And people go, well, what does that mean? And I always, it means 2,000 people would have just shut the grid down. Yeah. So they only had, ERCOT only had, and, and people realize that, you know, grids typically have three separate backups, spinning right. reserves, peaker plants, right. um, your, what's going into your base load. Wow. So anybody who says, and you'll see it on Twitter so often, folks from environmental organizations, renewables and batteries have saved the grid. Right. No, they didn't. And the person you just said, David Blackman, does some of the best work on this yes. that I've read. Um, you can get those numbers from ERCOT. They're, they're done on an hourly basis. You can go to just Google ERCOT. They, they I put keep, their dashboard on my website. Okay, they keep, they yeah. keep great. And so it was, I think, last Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, they, they got down to a level two, which to explain it in, for your audience, grids work off frequencies. Right. And a grid has to have so much power going in is the exact amount of power that needs to be going out. Yes, you can add a battery to bring extra, but that battery, which is lithium ion, right, typically can only store at most four hours. And I mean, the very, very most right. amount it can store is four hours. I have talked to a lot of battery folks, and I don't agree with battery unless it's renewable, so you can recycle the battery. Which you currently can't. Uh, there's only two manufacturers that can. Uh, but they're, Are they using lithium? Uh, some. I mean, it's they've got new battery technology. Frere battery out of Norway. Okay. And, and uh, great people, but not all their stuff is there yet. But they're heading that way. And that's great. If they do, it's fantastic. But the batteries that are on the Texas grid today are not renewable. They're not renewable. Right. It's lithium. Right. And lithium is a very it can toxic. Be toxic and frankly unstable right. rare earth metal and mineral. Right. As we, we see that blowing up on the little uh, bikes and cars. And well, I think a better way to even look at it besides that is going, okay, it was 110 degrees in large parts of Texas. Right. That lithium battery, what it's going to have is an HVAC system. Right. It's not, it's not much more complicated than a fan blower. Wow. So what people don't even realize is the battery itself has to use electricity to actually be effective or it would overheat. I did a global value chain study on lithium ion batteries at grid scale. I looked at the actual components and companies that make the HVAC system for the battery and many times for the camera. Here's the battery. Right. Well, here's the HVAC system just blowing air on that. And I laughingly said, well, how am I saying that that thing is supplying electricity when sometimes isn't it taking electricity for the fan to cool off the battery yeah. to be able to give the electricity? And then you go to the second law of thermodynamics. The, the amount that I put in is not the amount that I'm going to get out. And, and it overheats. I believe it was American. And I'm going to give her credit. Oh, gosh, it, just, uh, it makes my head spin right and, now. And you lose power in transmission when it goes to it. Yes. You lose power 
Excuse me. Uh, I just spit on my own coffee. So that's, that's okay. a good thing. Yeah. We're in a good discussion now. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to We're loud up right now. Okay. And so I believe it was Meredith. And she said you lose electricity on the way in, on yes. the way out. And then, um, like, in, uh, you're describing exactly what they were seeing in uh, Florida when the salt got into the Teslas. And then they just kind of spontaneously mm-hmm. blow up or uh, set fire. Did, did Meredith talk about the substations that some engineers will make the argument that you're then losing, you're then losing it even further. It's not even losing it twice. You're then losing it further at the substation level and then at the level where you're having to go, you know, ACDC. Oh, yeah. Probably DCAC. That was a great band, by the way. Yeah, a great band. But you're losing, you're losing there as well. You're, yeah. it, so all of that to be said is that you really have to ask yourself, right? That your listeners, anyone who's going to hear this, the press that you influence, why then right. does Greenpeace, Sierra Club, and most every single Democrat go, this is what we want to do when you go, the current grid, right? the current technology of a grid cannot handle an intermittent source of electricity, mm-hmm. the sun, the wind, water, which we're seeing you know, damming issues, whether it's right. China, whether it was the Colorado River before the, the torrential rains last Right. years in that part of the, the United States. You cannot handle it. The grid cannot handle it. Wow. Texas, yeah. which people go, this is a red state. You guys got your guns. Your bars are drilling for your oil and gas. No, we're not. We're, I believe on that day that I was looking at, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. uh, Todd, it was, I believe there were 11 uh, megawatts of solar, 11, whatever the number was, but a good, the rest of it was coal, natural gas, nuclear. That's it. Yeah, I think I think the number was upwards. It was at least 84%. Some, are, right. some would yeah. argue, I would argue it was 90%. Yeah, how so? Because whenever you look at, if you look at a second by second graph uh, of electricity, remember, yeah. you have to say, what is my capacity factor versus the rated capacity? Meaning, what are you getting me right this second? Wow. What are you not what you're giving me three seconds from now, 10 seconds ago? What are you giving me? Because that grid has to perfectly match up at all times. Right. And so the only thing that is doing that right. is fossil fuels and nuclear. That's, right. that's, that's it. it. You look at the uh, nuclear and it's a flat line. You can count on that. And nuclear is the highest capacity because it works about 92% of the time. Right. The sun's at about. I've seen <laughs> about 25%. 25. It's about 25. Wins about 35. But it, well, any of your listeners right now, even us, for you, for the folks that you know are watching this, if David and I look around, pardon me, Stu, Stu and I look around right now, I would there's be David. Yeah, really. It would be very little wind is going on and it's cloudy. So then I have to ask the Sierra Club, Greenpeace, the entire Democratic Party, and lots of Republicans that believe right. this. You tell me then, where is this going to come? Where is it going to come from? Where's, as Robert Bryce says, where's the juice? I love, I love the juice. Right? Where's the juice coming from? Great documentary. Yeah, oh, yeah. juice. I would ask anyone, then you tell me where it's coming from. There's a and gentleman. I believe he talked about energy density. Energy density, of course. So yes. It's a volume versus mass. How much right. power are you getting out of something? Well, there's a guy called, I don't know if you know this, a gentleman named, I think it's Francis Merton, okay. out of New York. Right. He's got a site called the Manhattan Contrary. Oh, I love the Manhattan. He, well, he he wrote the most fascinating thing I've read so far about this right. whole thing. Whether it was my book talking about the human rights abuses. Yeah, I'm plugging that. Thank you. Yeah, let me let me plug it. 
uh, for our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're holding it up. So. Well, Francis said something really interesting, and I thought that's actually the best way to do it. Let's say we took the Inflation Reduction Act, right, which is putting in what's it about four hundred billion dollars of taxpayer subsidies to yeah. the wind and the sun, and, and there was nothing to the grid, nothing grid. He says what you should do is take ten thousand people who are who truly believe in this. Hey, yeah. hey, Todd, hey, Stuart, I really believe we can run the world off solar panels and wind turbines. Great. Okay. Go prove it. He said, go build your own city. Right. And he said, take 10,000 people and let them live that way for one year. What a great moment. I wouldn't even take it a step further. Right. I lived in California, lived in Los Angeles for 26 years. Right. We all know the weather is very temperate. I know you're from Texas now. I am. <laughs> and the summer just about damn near killed me. These summers, and, and I was born and raised in Fort Worth. Oh, okay. And I went to TCU. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Go Frogs. Great. Yeah. Um, Until they beat OSU. Yeah. No, uh, hard, hard national championship game. So I understand temperate weather because right. it never gets overly hot for that long. It certainly never gets cold. Right. I would say even go take those 10,000 people, put them in San Diego. The right. best weather one could find. It's right. 69 to 72 at all times. But you can only get your juice, your electricity, right, from a wind turbine and a solar panel. Right. I'm not even gonna let you get a hydroelectric dam. I'll let you do some biomass. Okay, let's get let's do some yeah. biomass. If there's a geothermal deposit, I'll let you have that. Right. But let's go put you in Santa Monica or Malibu. But you're gonna limit yourself to a very limited geographic around the U.S. because every place is different. But I'm saying just for my little experiment, oh, oh, okay. I'm saying I'm going to concede to these people right. and go, I'm going to put you in the most temperate, right. lovely climate one can imagine. Because Malibu can get a little cold sometimes. Now, are you going to be mean enough to say you got to grow your own food because you can't bring anything in from anywhere else? Uh, no, I'm not even going to do that. That would, that would add to the market. Well, no, but what I'm saying in this 10,000 person city, right. you've got to have everything that you're used to in a modern civilization. Only on renewal. Yeah. Okay. So your grocery store, your drugs, um, your kids, where, where do they play soccer, tackle football, your electric vehicles, you're going to have to do an entire grid based on this. So you're, right. we're going to do it. We're gonna, I would take those, let's take a hundred billion dollars and construct this. Right. Like the biodome that used to be. So we get to pay for this experiment. Absolutely. Because what you want to do, like any, I'm an analyst. Right. And go, okay, okay let me show you, Mr. President. Right. Madam Congressman or Congresswoman, right. Senator, uh, CEO, Larry right. Fink, uh, Michael oh. Bloomberg. Let me show you, are you, if you are willing to go into this experiment, right, Larry Fink, right, if you're willing to go in there, Michael Bloomberg, George Soros, and the rest of you folks that are this anti-human, anti-industry, really what right. they are is authoritarians, right? You go in there and let's, and let's just study it because what we may learn what if we learn that you and me are wrong? Okay. We're wrong. Okay. Can I throw this yeah. world at you? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's, yeah. let's play here. I think the World uh, Economic Forum is already trying to do that in cities uh, around the world. Uh, we're talking they're already uh, doing land grabs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very open what they're going to do, sure. and it is the uh, small cities or whatever they're going to lock you into. They're already trying to put those in. Well, I think ultimately, though, what's going to happen with that is that you will see people will revolt. Right. In, um, in the I course mean, of human history, we've seen rioting, revolts. Rioting over energy. Yep, they will. And uh, I believe Houston signed up for it. 
Well, Houston continues to vote for very liberal Democrats who believe in this. But there's Republicans who believe in this, oh, in yeah. some of this nonsense, too. And it, wow, this is so cool. You are a wealth of knowledge. So this is my this is my experiment here. And to, and to say you can find this out, I will allocate one hundred billion dollars because what we're really talking about. I have, a, right. I have a dear friend from high school. Right. Former special forces. Right. And I never get to tell me when we talked about energy and he said, well, we had a saying that went, you're only nine meals away from chaos. Nine mil meals, nine meals away from chaos. So imagine I'm thinking about that because he's right. Imagine if the grid completely blew up. Right. Okay. Let's think about what you're not going to have. Right. You're going to have three years. If you take it away, it's going to be three years just to get the power back on. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be even great about it and go, let's give you nine months. Let's say we can get it just the power back. Right. How many people, and there's scenarios out there, right? You're looking at about if there's, let's say, let's just take Texas. There's about 25 million Texans here right now. 20, right. Let's go to 30. Let's make it easy. Right. If that thing went out, you're probably looking at 90% of all urban inhabitants are going to die. Right. The people who actually know how to camp and know how to take care of themselves is a very, very small subset. I remember my friend told me, he goes, he goes, I had training to last one year without anything. Right. But he goes, a human being, even us, he goes, we're not set up in an agri, agri, you know, an agricultural crash. Right. The victory gardens are not around. They're not around. And, and Bill Gates controls the scene. Yep. And also, too, you have to look up and go, he made a great point. So let's just talk about the grid blew up last Wednesday. Right. Okay. That means no water systems. Right. That means no sewage systems. Right. That means no refrigeration. Right. So that means I now have contaminated water, open sewage, right. no food. Right. Well, then that means, too, in modern day homes that have to be taken care of, I have no way to take care of my home, whether it needs to be repainted. What about uh, you have all these open water sources? I think you're going to throw away uh, to, uh, uh, painting your house when you don't have a toilet, you don't have water, and you don't have food because you're now back down to humanity trying to survive. Absolutely. And so here's about a painting of the house. And there's a great book that talks about that. A guy named Michael, I call it one of the most important books I've ever read in my life. Right. A gentleman named Michael Novak called The Spirit of Democratic Capitalism. Right. I would tell anyone, read the first 20 pages, but focus on page, I think it's 14, 15, 16. Yeah. I think there was a movie made about it, you know, Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Shaun of the Living Dead. Yeah. That, that one was. Or, or we see it now like with The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Or, you know, there's that, I love that Brad Pitt movie, World War Z, which is, oh, based, yeah, which yeah. is based on the book. Right. Where you look up and go, what happens when, for us, I did go back to Robert Bryce, the juice thing. Right. So what happens if you have no access to electricity? Because even right. Ron talks consistently about well, 6,000 products come from a barrel of oil. Right. 6,000 products. People don't realize right. that. Well, what people really don't realize right. is that to make those 6,000 products, it comes from a refinery, which is run by fossil fuels, electricity. Oh, well, you got to get there. Exactly. So now even, even all of these things that my grid just went kaboom on, Right. Because I'm trying to use unstable sources into the grid. Right. What you're looking at is a complete meltdown of society. And I would, I've seen estimates that show at least nine out of 10 people perish. Which the World Economic Forum would be happy. Absolutely. And that's probably why they want the uh, small cities or with a 15 minute city or whatever. Yeah. 15 minute where you can get anywhere in 15 minutes. So I think as people, you have to, you have to look up and go, you better look at how you vote. Yes. 
you, you, and I'll, I'll take this a step further. Let me be your most controversial guest right now. Cool. Anybody who says there's not a difference in a Democrat and Republican, I can only use the United States model, whereas the United States is still the leader of the liberal-led post-World War II order. The world runs off the U.S. dollar. The world runs off the security of the United States. Until BRICS kicks in. Yeah. Whether you, whether you like it or not, right. you're still under a fiat system that the U.S. dollar is the hegemonic system. Right. From which most transactions are certainly energy transactions. Right. Where they go through. You understand that as well as any. Oh, absolutely. Well, you have a choice coming. Right. It's Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Right. It's not Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Right. It's not Rick Perry, who, you know, who is a wonderful energy secretary. You have got this is what you have. Right. One seems to be very authoritarian, the Democratic Party. Right. One seems to be, we kind of like freedom. Right. And we're kind of willing to do some fossil fuels. And we don't really understand nuclear, but we're we're for it. Right. And that's the choices. And people need to realize all all the minutiae, all the whatever. I can tell you from my business alone, right, what I do. Right. What keeps nuclear reactors from being deployed from being the saving grace of humanity is the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Uh, Yes, I would say it. Notch it up. I'm keeping it DOE. I'm keeping it simple. I'm going to go to the NRC. Right. If the NRC, which is not even following their own laws and regulations currently, were to get out of its way, but the problem is, and you look at it and you go, who are the people that are obstructionists? They typically vote for the Democratic Party. Right. Man, I grew up as a, my parents right. is a Truman Democrat, a Kennedy Democrat. These things can change like that. But under today's world, where right. you and I are talking about, right? Yeah. Now, it's like saying renewables don't work because they're just not technologically viable right now. Right. Maybe one day they will be. Absolutely. And then you and I are both in. You bet. Maybe an electric vehicle won't require thousands and thousands of pounds of lithium one day. Maybe somebody and the kids will be able to have a decent life. Absolutely. And maybe a battery will be as big as my hand one day and it will be nothing. Right. Who would have thought that that you and I would live in a world where there's more computing power in this than there was in the original Apollo spacecrafts? No, I Anything is possible. But in today's world, in today's environment, with the upcoming election season, someone go, oh, my God, you're some dopey Republican, MAGA Trump. Stop it. Right. Please keep your comments in the lunacy. I would go change my heart beat in a second. Right. It's your policy choices. Exactly. And the policy choices of typically the Republican Party right now is we kind of we go we're kind of into fossil fuels. we'll, We'll do nuclear. We don't really understand renewables, but you better look at someone who's going to keep the grid stable because that's where we start. Right. Let's keep the grid stable and then let's go talk about all of our other differences and see if we can come to some compromises. Oh, absolutely. um, But I almost want to say all politicians are, you know, I'm I'm more, Mm -hmm. you know, I used I I just believe that none of the politicians uh, have our best interest. And I'm going to say that, you know, if you're a candidate, you are not and you know that term now, you know, the unicorn, right? You hear that, and right. I think people have seen it particularly when you see what's it, $120 billion to Ukraine. We're talking right. about giving them advanced missile systems, which then you're, right. you're looking at high levels of escalation, according right. to the Russian government. Well, why are we giving all that money to Ukraine when our poor folks in Maui 
need the money. I mean, our U.S. citizens are not getting taken care of. I mean, I don't get it. I would rather take care of U.S. citizens. Ukraine has a problem. I agree. You know, but, um, you know, let's just leave that alone for a second. We're not taking care of that. No, we're not. What I advocate, though, for is that, did you ever read Tocqueville's America? No. Tocqueville really talks about that America, when he visited, was, was a place where there were all these organizations, right? Religious, civic, economic. It was a very much of an engaged citizen at that point. Right. What I advocate for, and I really, I go back to Chris Keith, the gentleman in Canada, right? Who really said, I'm going to go for nuclear power because scientifically it makes sense. Right. What I call for is that it actually doesn't take much for people to change Right. Congress is mine. I've worked for Congressman before. Oh, wow. Cool. And interesting enough, you'll find, right? If you, let's say you have an issue to go, hey, we want to subsidize paper cups, right? It takes about 20 to 40 phone calls for people to go, we don't want that. You will be surprised, even senators, let them get about 50 phone calls one way or another, right? They're going to change their mind. And so- It's not much. Go go look at what it takes to get a city councilman elected. Go look at county commissioner elections. Look at state rep elections. It's not much. So I always advocate whether it's energy or your civic life, right? Be engaged. I'm going to choose. I like that. I'm going to choose engagement. I'm going to say I'm going to factually look at something and not go, oh, God, I I think Donald Trump is the savior of America. No, I don't know Donald Trump. I've said this to people. I'll say it publicly again. If I had to say the choice between I bet having dinner with Barack Obama would probably be a little better experience than probably having dinner with Donald Trump. Wow. If you just look at look at them, what we know, and we don't know either man. I don't yeah. know either man. Either one would be entertaining. Uh, but I mean, I'm talking about if you go, if I wanted to go watch Monday Night Football, right. who am I going to invite? Uh, my, my guess is Barack Obama would probably be a little easier to be around, pretty engaging. Right. My guess is, I bet he's pretty well-versed on literature and music. And you you would look at me and go, wow, what a what a what a thoughtful, fun, engaging man. And he actually right. we talked about fantasy football. My guess is Donald Trump is a hard-nosed developer from New York City, right? Who was used to dealing with the grind of unions and corrupt politicians for right. decades. That's probably a pretty tough personality to run over. Absolutely. So yeah. in that regard, it, that's where I go, the advocacy comes in, the being engaged comes in. Because you have to say to yourself, I can sit back, well, look at what you've done. You go, I'm going to become thought leader, right? I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to take this, right. my looking decades of knowledge and let people yeah. know, guys, yeah. not getting rid of fossil fuels. No. And so I always say in regards to all of this, be engaged. Because right. it doesn't, it, it doesn't take much to win these offices. It doesn't take. No one's telling you to go run for the president of the United States. Go run to be a city councilman, right. a school board member, a state rep. Oh, boy, the school boards uh, are so important. And, yeah. Uh, I'm going to see a move fairly soon. I think we're already seeing it for homeschooling. Sure we are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty sad. But I think on our topic, I think you're going to see people that are eventually going to understand right. that life comes from this electoral grid and which party or parties or individuals, whether mm-hmm. D, R, socialist, libertarian, whatever you are, who is going to say this is going to stay on so my lights can stay on? Right. I can 
go watch a little football on the weekend. I could have a barbecue. I could go get on a plane and take the family to a beach right. somewhere because that grid has to stay, right. that has to stay on. So I, I, I look at you, you've got to be an engaged individual these days. And, right. and I understand that can be a draining process. Team. Oh, I couldn't agree more. The American School of Prosperity are a good group. Great group. Great group. Yeah, and and um, I just interviewed a, uh, the director for Texas on here. And Did she you? is just a, a great, great lady. That's great. So um, go out to everybody. For all of our listeners here, Todd, how can people get all of it? Um, well, the best way is that you can go. You go to my Twitter, which is uh, at TCR. It's at TCR Consulting. Okay. Uh, find, yeah, that's really the best way to find me. Is, okay. is do that. I've, I've got a website that I haven't kept up with it as much since I joined. Since I rejoined the working world and got out, got out of the consulting world. Okay. That's the best way. Obviously, our books. You can get to me through our through our publisher. We've got the first book, which is called Energy Made Easy. The second book, Just Free Electricity, right. and then this one that you've been kind enough to tout uh, for us. So I, I, I appreciate. That. I appreciate yeah. you having Ron and myself on because we we do believe it's an important book yeah. and it is definitely an agonizing book at least from my end because of the truthfulness that it shows the human rights abuses that are happening. You know, I I think you can tell I I poured through this one. I, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I I I just love interviewing industry uh, thought leaders because I learned from you and. Um, it's kind of like David Blackman. I would like to knock his knees out from under him, do a Vulcan mind melt on him, and and just pull all of his knowledge out, but leave all this personal stuff behind. Yes, yeah, and you'd be one of those too. And I can't wait to have you back on uh, to talk about other things as well. I would love to, and you know, thank you to really to allow me the opportunity to advocate for nuclear. Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, seriously, thank you, thank you very much that you've allowed this. I mean, you've got a you've got a large following. That's right. the, where you can go. There's a new conversation. There's a new way to look at nuclear, and it truly is the safest way to to run our society currently. And, and I'm instead of being a uh, known as a uh, energy uh, thought leader, I like to be known as a humanitarian type because uh, I care about you. Yeah, let's yeah. elevate people out of poverty. Absolutely, hundred percent. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much, dude.